Monster and Bear recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of this place, now known as Australia. We are grateful for the continuing care of the lands, waterways and skies where we listen, learn and create. From here in Wurundjeri country and from wherever you are listening, we respect the elders of the past and present and we share our friendship and kindness. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode nine of So That's How It's Done, a podcast where we talk to talented professionals within the film and creative industry to find out how they get the cool stuff that they do done. My name is Jem Rankin and joining me is my co-host, Tori Brennan. How are you going, Tori? Good, Jem. Thank you. We're here today with director Jesse Richards, who is a visual magician specializing in fast-paced TVCs and online content. He's known for his witty dialogue, cheeky humor, and honest, heartfelt, thought-provoking pieces. Welcome, Jesse. Oh, thank you. Welcome. It's great to be here. That's a very nice little spiel to introduce me. Visual <laughs> oh, magician sounds vi- <laughs> better than I actually am. I think you are a visual magician. And I guess one of the things in there, oh, it says like cheeky humor, but I think you are just genuinely a comedic god. No, Whoa, <laughs> that's, no we can't have that in there because that's, uh, that's too much pressure. That's the so first. Funny, that means everything started. I have to say has to be extremely funny. Yeah, and it better, and it better be. <laughs> Um, no, but you are you are very funny and also like you're Thank just you. a good you're good energy as well. I've only worked with you once before. Mm-hmm. That was it. I was just funny that day. <laughs> that day. Every other day, no. terrible energy. Yeah, but there was there was um one day we were on set. I was a child supervisor and you were the director on there. Jem produced it. It's mm-hmm. like the old gang's back. Oh God, anyway, that know. day you were you were such good energy and high vibes. I was like, Jem, we should interview him because I think it would be so much fun. Yeah, definitely. Which it I better be. Yeah, well, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, so when you say high vibes, um, I just want to say that just means good energy, not yes. that I was high on set. I'm sure. just like Correct. That. Yes. Thank you um, for correcting that. That's, that's an, an important good. distinction. Just to, be, just to be clear. Good chat. No, for sure. Cool. So I guess just to start off this interview conversation, maybe let's start off like how you got here. <laughs> I guess uh, my journey in a nutshell would be I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always wanted to be a director. Uh, I remember when I was younger, when I was a little kid, uh, what I used to do is I used to wait until my parents went to bed on Oscars night and I would just sneak out and then watch the Oscars on mute because I was like obsessed with filmmakers, directors, writers, actors, all that kind of jazz. And I think that's like where it started. I've always wanted to be that ever since I was a kid. I went to multiple film schools. I know we went to VCA together, mm-hmm. Jen. We did. Which was a great experience for me. And then I kind of wound up working in advertising. I, I did a random job for uh, an advertising agency and they just kept asking me to come back in. I just uh, I shot something and I edited something. And then at the agency, they were just like, oh, do you you can come in tomorrow and you know, do this again? And I was like, yep. Yeah. I did that for like a month and then they gave me a job. And then I've just mainly been working with commercials ever since then, but also still very much uh, excited by narrative, short films, long form, music videos and everything like that. Yeah, so, awesome. Yeah, that's that's it. And now I'm here in this room with you two <laughs> wonderful people. Here we are. So how long were you in advertising? So I worked in-house in a few different agencies from pretty much the end of 2015, as soon as I graduated, till last year, mid-year in about May. So I guess that's like eight years. Yeah, yeah. wow. I just guess. I just guess really quickly. Uh, no one can do math that math. quickly. Okay, yeah. great. No one. Yeah. What year is it? For I don't know. People in the future. Yeah, true. It's 2023. Don't say what uh, year it is. Now we can't fudge it. <laughs> Delete Sorry. the podcast. You cut that out, yeah? Um, yep. Yeah, great. Yep, it's, it's already up. <laughs> How did you find the transition from film school, which admittedly is a lot more narrative-based, mm. to going into an agency and working for them? Yeah, that's a great question. I felt like I had to unlearn a couple of things. I think the first one being, like, obviously when you're in film school and sometimes when you're doing short-form narrative stuff, the interesting thing is, like, as a director, you have quite a lot of control, as you would expect a director to have. But when you work on commercials, you realize that you have to relinquish that a little bit and you have to be diplomatic in in how it all comes together. And it's a little bit more of a kind of group uh, creative party. I mean, party in both senses, in one that it's a group of people and also that's a bit of a party sometimes. <laughs> um, and so that was that was something I learned very quickly. I did uh, a shoot very early on in um, 2016, which was probably my first commercial. And I found myself getting very frustrated with the process because I was obviously used to just doing whatever I wanted on set, um, which has its merits. But then also at the same time, I learned and grew over the next few years in that commercial. You have to be a lot more flexible and understanding and all those kind of things. And then once you learn that, it becomes this amazing space to kind of practice your craft. Yeah. And so you were working as an in-house 
well, initially freelance, but then in-house director for, for this agency? Yeah, yeah. I actually started off as uh, like an editor, content creator, yep, okay. kind of just doing whatever, like a one-man band kind of deal, and then transitioned to mainly directing things, which is what I always wanted to do. Yeah, but, cool. Um, but also love editing. I kind of, I feel like when you're a director, you can have, you can also have a lot of subcategories of things that you like doing. You know, some people are very visual in terms of they're almost cinematographers in the way that they direct because they're very obsessed with camera angles and things like that. Other directors are almost theatre-based. They love performances and working with actors in that space and blocking. And then myself, I find I come from kind of an editing background. Like I know I love um, Edgar Wright as a director and his works and fast-paced kind of editing and things like that, uh, as a lot of people do, because I think that's just a, a great way that you know, to make films and especially it works so well with advertising because so much you're you're literally making something that's 15 seconds or 30 seconds long. Yeah. So it has to be quick and it has to be energetic. Definitely and capture attention super quickly. Yeah. So Edgar Wright was an influence growing up. Yeah. Any other any other filmmakers that No, just the one. Just one. Just, <laughs> just Edgar Wright. Yeah, that was it. You mean Didn't... there's you mean there's more? <laughs> there's another filmmaker? <laughs> I, I was into Spielberg and Kubrick, but I feel like they're pretty, you know, run of the mill answers. Sure. Um so I'll have to have a think about someone a bit more interesting <laughs> and get back to you on that. No, I mean, Edgar Wright's a great touch point though. Like so many great films and such energy, you know, yeah. like that's just what I picture when I think of an Edgar Wright film, whether mm-hmm. it's Hot Fuzz or Scott Pilgrim or whatever. Smashing awesome. 10 coffees and then watching a movie and that's yeah. what you get. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to pair it back a little bit to mm-hmm. something you said just before, which was you started off editing for the agency and then you ended up directing. Yeah. I think the way I imagine a lot of film school people to be, like they want to be a director mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm just going to go out and direct. And I think it's actually really hard to just go straight into a directing role. So what was the transition from going from an editor to a director within that agency like? Like, was it relatively easy because they just knew you and trusted you or did you have to win them over a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I had to fight for it. It took ages. (laughs) Okay, yeah. It took a long time. It took, um, yeah, probably like three or four years. And, you know, you you get little opportunities here and there. And like, for example, when we were chatting before about like my first uh, commercial gig where I got got frustrated with feedback from client and agency and all that kind of stuff, I feel like that was a learning curve. And then maybe that kind of set me back a little bit. And then I had to kind of regroup and figure out what to do on the next shoot, learning from that when I think I visibly looked frustrated. So I had to learn from that. But in terms of the transition, that's a great question. As an editor, you can actually either on set or as an editor in post, you can learn so much about directing. One of my favorite things was because I was editing a lot of TVCs that were coming in from external production companies. It was great hearing the director on set directing the actors like just before or just after the takes, especially on those really long takes. And I kind of heard the things that they were saying. And so I was learning from that. And I was kind of like stealing little bits and pieces that they say and that they do. But occasionally I would hear something that I would consider to be bad direction. And I would remember that. And I would take a note to self and say, oh, I wouldn't really say that to an actor. Yeah, that's a really handy tool to be able to look back through the the rushes and be a fly on the wall essentially in in retrospect. And also realizing that I think everyone has an idea of what directors are like in their mind and that role is kind of glorified in a way. But then when you meet so many directors, you realize that they're all different and they're all unique. And that's a really good uh, learning moment for me because I realized I didn't have to try and be like another director. I could just do my own thing. And that's good. That's what people want. They want a director that has their own unique style and unique way of doing things. Yeah, definitely. Did you do a lot of narrative after film school or did you go kind of straight into... I would say after film school, mostly commercial stuff, actually. But at the same time, a bunch of short films. I always had this idea that, or like a quota, like I wanted to make at least one short film or music video every year as like a, you know, personal creative project. And I think I've done that. Oh, sick. That's That's great. Not this year yet, but it is March. Early. Now we know exactly when it is this year. Well, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's actually nearly April. Oh, that's true. Round up. Yeah. <laughs> Round up in Round terms of up. months. Round them up. <laughs> Round up. <laughs> Can that please be your catchphrase? Yeah. And um, round them up, boys. When this conversation's over, I'll be like, we're rounding up, boys. Yeah. Anyway, that, thank you for helping me get my new catchphrase. I love that. Cool. So what kind of, so you do a short film every year? I try to, yeah. Or a music video. I did a short film 
every year. And then one year I didn't do one and I did a music video. So I changed my rule. <laughs> to, it could be one or the other per yeah. year. A creative project of some yeah. kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, Something I can just kind of sink my teeth into. Yeah. And I find those, the short films and the music videos are the projects where you can just do some really strange things on and experiment. Yeah. And especially music videos, like it, it almost doesn't really matter if it's super wild because it, it works. Like music videos are like the perfect playground to just experiment. Yeah. Mm, and they're always good fun. Yeah, definitely. As a director, mm. let's say like creative input, creative investment, how do you find that differs between something that you are super driven, passionate for, you know, versus something you might be doing for work that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> not, <laughs> that you're not, all, not that you're not passionate, but, you know, like th- there, is a, there is a difference between like passion projects and working for, yes. for work. Yeah. There is, there is. I feel like the one thing as a director, whenever you come on to any project is you've got to give it your all regardless of what it is. You've got to put in 100%, otherwise you're not really doing your job. It's one of those things where like, like especially on the day, but also during the process in terms of pre-production, post-production, all that kind of jazz, you have to provide the amount of energy and enthusiasm that the project deserves because it's all going to come down from the top. So like, and it's, it is a, it is a partnership as well. So I think director and producer and amongst a few other people as well, I think the energy has to come from those people and then that trickles down. And then, you know, the rest of the crew, the client, the agency, they all get excited and, and enthusiastic about a project if you are. And that's, that's, I feel like that's part of your job as a director, not just to have the creative vision, but also to be enthusiastic and, and 100% in on, on every project. Yeah. And so in terms of how that differs, that's the same with creative projects as well as commercial. But there are a few differences as... I'm sure we're all aware between Mm -hmm. the two. I found one or the biggest difference between the two is you don't have rehearsals with commercials. Does that rhyme too much? (laughs) Rehearsals with commercials. Yeah, I can. I can no, I love that. Word. You love that. You like more rhyming. That's, that's is the a title note from Gem. Yeah. <laughs> if you could only rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, I think that's that's one of the biggest things. And I, I do think that relationship is slightly different between director and actors because a lot of the time you will meet the actors on a callback for a shoot and then on the day. Whereas with narrative, you have so many rehearsals, you have so much time to build that relationship. So when you get there on the day, it's, you know, the the performances are so buttoned down and yeah. have reached such a, an amazing point that it is slightly different to commercials where it's like, all right, the actors are there and your fingers crossed, you hope that you can get a good performance. Going further, on that with the actors side of things a lot of commercials are very short they generally are kind of like higher energy or like more intense what's it like directing a actor for a commercial where it might be more like these are very broad emotions that you need to feel versus like really getting into the depths of it in maybe a more narrative yeah project. the way that you direct is different between the two uh, i would say with narrative you can do so many different things. You can like play games with them if you want. I don't mean mental games. <laughs> I mean actual games, you know, just like to get them warmed up. Yeah. With comedy, you know, you can have a bit of a back and forth to them. What I like to do sometimes, this is the same with commercials as well. If you're working with actors on something that's a little bit funny or a little bit silly, you can try and trick them by giving them really silly direction, but with a really serious tone. And you wait until they kind of tick and they understand that you're playing with them yeah, and they yeah. respond back to you and then you have a back and forth. And yeah. it's really good because it's kind of like letting them know that we're here to have fun and they can play around and they can improvise and, and do all those things. And so that's something that you can do mainly with narrative, but you can do it with commercials if you have enough time allotted for improvisation, which is something I love doing and something that I love working with actors on because whatever they bring to the table is always something that I'm interested I feel like there would be a variation, a scale that different directors would want control over exactly what's happening. But with your talent, are you typically super involved in them, like with every step and invested in every sort of different little movement that they have? Yeah. Are you more like you do you? I normally direct on an inflatable lounge floating on a swimming pool. Um, <laughs> I like being as far away from the action as possible. Oh, cool. And as yeah. comfortable as, and with yep. a martini yep. in hand, yep. um, which Jem has provided on. on He's super shoots. involved and dedicated. <laughs> an actual answer to your question. A bit of both. I think it's important to be your actor's best friends. Like if you don't make them feel welcome, you're not going to get a good performance out of them. So you need to make sure that they feel completely comfortable with you as a director 
And so you want to be there for them. But at the same time, it's great that you touched on the idea of am I involved in like specific movements that they do? To be honest, not really. It's more about thematically what's going on in their heads for their characters. Yeah. And the blocking, blocking is very important where, yes. where the actor actually moves within the scene. But in terms of them putting their hand on their chin as they're thinking like I'm doing now, that's a visual thing, which is a bad thing to talk about <laughs> on in an audio medium. Um, <laughs> but anything like that, I'm not too granular with that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's more about performance verbal performance. Did I say performance, then verbal performance? Yep. Yeah, great. Which is kind of ironic that I'm talking about verbal performance and I've done a terrible job explaining it. But that's more for the actors, not me. Yeah, know? exactly. But yeah, it's more about what they say, giving them room to improvise and where they are in the scene. But I don't really mind what they do unless they're touching their feet as they walk around, you know, yeah. which would look really weird. But some directors would probably go on that more granular level. Like some, I think, and it just probably depends on the person's style. And mm. if, if it's more about like a performance and comedy coming through in the way that they do it, there's probably less reason to be like, you have to put your hand exactly where that goes because it's more about like it unfolding and feeling natural. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I found is the reason why I don't do that is because I think it can actually hurt the performance because the actor's thinking about a thousand things already. So you need to give them like one or two maximum pieces of feedback between each take. And you don't want to waste one of those on talking about where their hand is, unless it's really obvious or it's necessary for the scene. Yeah. But that doesn't bother me at all. Mm. I've seen an example where I've been on set, and I think this was probably in our VCA days, uni days, where a director has got really granular and then that's all the actors thinking about. And then everything else suffers and you just have to prioritize what's most important when giving feedback and giving direction. Totally. Yeah. The next sort of thing I'm wondering about is your creative input on say narrative versus commercial so when you are putting together a treatment or coming up with the way that you would approach something what are some of the larger differences that you would see between Mm, I think with commercials in terms of coming up with a pitch or a treatment I find uh, creatives art director copywriter if there are any or whoever is your point of contact for creative things on a project, they're your best friend at the start. Chat to them as much as possible because they know the project more than anyone. And so they have the greatest amount of context. And I normally ask, it's normally like three things. I would say the first one is something about the thematic intent. What's the purpose of the ad? And that can just be like one line. And then the next one is like stylistically, I might say a few buzzwords, which I normally say on most things I direct, which is like, we're thinking light, bright, colorful, that kind of thing, (laughs) Um, which is normally like what I go for. That's my my vibe, generally speaking. And the answer is 99% of the time, yes, to all of those. Um, (laughs) Who's going to say, nah, not that? (laughs) Nah, 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 nah. Colorful? Nah, nah, nah. Dark. (laughs) Dark, black and white. I mean, that's like a fashion film, I guess, but I'm I'm not a fashion kind of (laughs) guy. As you can tell, I'm sitting here naked. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying not to make yeah. eye contact. Yeah, is that is that all right? I should have. I've got my eyes closed. I'd, oh, yeah, yeah. you have. I've noticed. Yeah. And I stupidly set myself up because I said there were three things and I've only said two, and there is a third. Oh mm-hmm. yes, the third one is uh, how far can I push it? Yeah. That doesn't actually affect what I do too much, but it's more an idea of how people are going to react to things and how careful I need to be about diplomatically asking the creative direction in a certain way. Like if I want a crazy camera movement, if the answer to that question is, oh, yeah, we want to be challenged, we want to be pushed, go wild, you know, that's something that I can just implement, put it straight in storyboards or put it straight in my references. But if the answer is, oh, actually, we don't want to push it too much, this is like a more a conservative brand, blah, blah, blah. I will still try and put that camera movement in, but I will address it in a much more gentle way. Massage it in. Massage it in, yeah, exactly. Hey, client, you're looking a little tense. I'm just going to give you a back rub and let you know about this whip pan shot we want to put in. And that's part of the services I provide as a director. I also do massages. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I didn't do it for you. Sorry, Jen. No, I'm feeling a bit sore, actually. Oh, are you? Yep, maybe after. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So it sounds like it's more collaborative when you're working in a commercial sense. You're working with people at the production company or the agency or whatever that is. So I suppose on the other end of the scale, when it's you working on a creative passion project, I guess you can just kind of do whatever you want, right? Yes, you're right. The second half of that is more narrative. Um, and in that way, you are a bit more of a lone wolf in mm. a way. In a way, you still obviously filmmaking is one of the most collaborative art forms in the world imaginable. But as a director in the narrative realm, in terms of thinking about the shots that you want to do and storyboards and all that kind of stuff, you very much like 
kind of locked away in your own little world and you work that out and then you kind of present it. And to be honest, most of the time, there aren't really any changes in that in that way. Like once once people see your storyboards and your intent, it's normally like, all right, that's what we're doing. If it can fit within the budget and all, all that kind of general, yeah, like that can change it. But with commercials, that kind of stuff can change all the time because there's so many stakeholders and people invested. So you do have to, you make something by committee in a way. Yeah. And you got to always consult the law team, the legal team. The legal team. Yeah. The law. Triple zero. Hey, do you mind if I do this? They're like, please do not call this number unless it's a complete emergency. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care about your storyboards, mate. Yeah. Do you storyboard yourself? So I'm going to answer this as a two-parter. Part one, I can, but my drawings are very much, they look like little comic strips. I was going to say like Garfield, but that's drawn very well. So that's (laughs) that's the wrong reference. They're like little cartoons. They don't have that kind of graphic novel look that storyboard artists actually do. That's awesome. Yeah. So yes, I can, but I much prefer to work with a storyboard artist. And what I normally do is I draw my own little sketches and then I provide that to the storyboard artists and I'm happy for them to take it however they want in terms of perspective and things like that. But they're mainly the frame sizes, the blocking, the direction is in those preliminary storyboards mm. to be taken to the next level. Yeah, Yeah, cool. for sure. I recently storyboarded a, a thing that I directed here and we didn't have time to get it properly storyboarded, which I think worked fine. But now since then, everyone has scanned the storyboards and then taken the frames, my people's faces, and then like <laughs> made them into like React <laughs> in Slack. Oh, they're, that's so good. They're, they're really good. There's a disgusted man. Disgusted so Jem sends me anything and I'm like, disgusted. <laughs> just reacts with my and horrible drawings. Not only is Tori reacting in not the answer that you want in the chat, but also coming back to you with the hauntings of your own drawings, your own creations. Yep, that's it. <laughs> that's amazing. I think it, it does sell the emotion. Though. It does. So I think it, you it did kind an amazing job. Work. All right, Jim, in its don't own way. defensive about it. <laughs> It's not bad. It's my way of making myself feel better. It is actually very good. The second question we had about storyboarding was the benefit, I guess, of storyboarding and shooting exactly what you've storyboarded versus shooting more than you boarded and then finding it in the edit. I'm Mm. wondering if you can talk us through as a director and an editor, do you like to shoot exactly what you've boarded and then that be it? Or do you like to get options and then be able to play around with it later? I think I like to mainly use my storyboards as gospel. That's exactly what we're shooting. Coming from an editing background, I've kind of worked out the edit in my head before yeah. to get there on the day. Exactly, so yeah. all of the shots make sense. Yeah. At the same time, I usually, on the day, I'm so flexible in terms of, oh, we need a quick little cutaway, quick little pickup here and there. Yeah. As an editor, you know, you need coverage as well. I've been in a few situations where not anything that I've directed, but something that I've cut together, there's just been missing shots. There's been missing cutaways. So if we need to speed up the action, which you do all the time with ads, because uh, a lot of the time, even really experienced filmmakers when they're making commercials, that you just don't realize how quick they are. Like if, mm. you're, if you've got a 15 second cut down, even someone saying something and then moving to the other side of the room and then looking out the window. That's your be, ad. That's your ad. Yeah, yeah. Ad. yeah, if that even fits. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you need to be able to cut away to something else just in case you need to make that faster. That's your ad, but there's no logo or CTA yeah. at the end because you ran out of time. Mm. Yeah, so exactly. it's an ad for nothing. <laughs> yeah, ad for nothing. Can we make that? Let's make an ad for nothing. <laughs> or something like way too general, like crumpets, but in general. No particular brand. Or is that the brand? No particular. Yeah. It's my favorite brand of crumpet. (laughs) As a director, you're coming into a job. I feel like storyboarding and shot listing and all that sort of thing can be kind of like the brand that you put on a project. So having your shots in a very specific order or the way that you've shot it is kind of your thing, right? Mm. So I'm wondering like if you shoot a lot more than you need and then it goes into the edit and then it's kind of, if you're not editing it and you might not have as much of an involvement in the edit, it's possible that they could just use all the other shots that you didn't really want and then all of a sudden the project doesn't look like how you were wanting it initially. That's very true. It's one of those things where you just, each project you just hope that you have a great editor that knows that they will start with what you've got boarded and then they might even have like a few alternate edits where they've tried different things and everything like that. And that's and that's the thing, like you as a director, I'm sure you would agree as well, you'd want to give every person that's working on the project a very clear, definitive, creative direction, a very good brief to start from. But you also need to give them room to do their own thing because you're surrounded by people who are brilliant and intelligent and extremely creative people. And if you try and put your mark too much on it, then you're uh, kind of stifling or halting what they can bring to the project. 
And I think it has to be a nice balance between the two. Yeah. You can't be so far removed that it's just up to the people around you because in, and then it loses that unique creative direction that you're supposed to bring as a director. Yep. This is my personal opinion, so this might be completely wrong. But what I found is you can't be too granular and too controlling because you've got to let other people be free and be, yeah. be themselves and add to the project what they can. Yeah, I guess it's that balance of having trust in everyone else to be able to do their mm. job and also wanting to have creative ownership over a project. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, is a, it is a fine balance, but can be done. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask what you did in the situation where you were editing the projects that didn't have enough coverage. How did uh, you guys overcome that? A filmmaker that I also loved back in the day, Robert Rodriguez. I don't know if anyone knows what a DVD is these days, but um, yeah. Heard James, of it. Yeah, you heard of it? I use them as coasters. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, there's a few coasters in here right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. DVDs, actually. Actually, that's my short film. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you that as a present. <laughs> what were we talking about? The DVDs. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Robert Rodriguez uh, used to do his thing on, on each of um, the DVDs of films that he made. He'd have 10-minute film school and I learned a few things from there. I don't know. Yeah. Have you either of you seen that kind of behind-the-scenes little special film? I think I have on El Mariachi or something. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Did it, yeah. had some great ideas of how to get the most out of what you've shot. And one of them is I use almost everything I've ever done is the punch-in. If you've got the res, if you've got the resolution, you can make a, a wide shot or a mid shot, something closer, and you can use those. And it looks like two different shots especially when you're jump cutting in the action. So if you have a close-up of me picking up this glass of water and going for a drink, and then you jump like a second or two into the future in the edit, and then you have it at its original res and you cut out or cut in, it'll look like a different cut. It'll look like a different shot. Yeah. And that's how sometimes you can get away with yeah. compressing the time. Whereas obviously jump cut is is fine, but doesn't work all the time. So yeah. if you change the timing and the size of the shot that you have, you can kind of trick it as a as, a, as an alternate shot that you got. It's good to have up, up your sleeve, I guess. It's yeah. probably not an ideal thing. Yeah, but that's, but, I reckon, mm. really handy. I reckon a lot of people listening would take notes. Mm. Actually, I asked this because one of my friends was specifically like, I didn't get enough coverage, what do I do? And he oh. was like, can you ask your editors <laughs> what to do? And he's like, also, then maybe you can answer this too. He mm. asked, um, like, how do you work on an edit that you care so much about without hating yourself because you're so, like, that, yeah, invested in one. it? And I screenshotted that text and sent it to my, um, my group conversation with the editors and they... <laughs> all just laughed and they said, you can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have any advice on how to manage that sort of like mental flow you get into when you're trying to edit something and it's just not working? Yeah. Oh, we're talking about editing now. I know yeah. you're a director, but I still no, feel like this is handy. I, I feel like it's um it's all connected. I feel like a director should be really involved in the edit anyway. So this kind of makes sense from whatever angle you look at. I've edited for so long and I personally think that it's good to just take a break. Like if you're if you're doing something and it's not working, the amount of times I have taken a break and I've done something else, I mean, understand sometimes if time permits, you know, yeah. sometimes there are ASAP things and you can't be like, I'm just going to leave <laughs> for an hour and have a beer. Like you can't do that all the time. Uh, but what I found is sometimes I'll be struggling with an edit and I'll be freaking out. Be like, oh my God, I can't make it work. And then I'll, you know, start it again the next day and it'll just come together in about 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's just because I've needed that break away from it. Yeah. If you get lost in it too much, you're just going to lose sight yes. of, of what's good. And that's why it is good to have a, a separate editor and, and director sometimes because the editor can do stuff and then the director can come in and be like, all right, fresh eyes. Yeah. Uh, let's lose that, add that, lose that. And then mm. suddenly… Totally. And then you're both like, oh my God, it's amazing now. And it's yeah. just because you can't just spend the whole time, like 24-7, just looking at your edit. You've got to give yourself breaks. Yeah. I see I, this friend, I think he shot it, directed it, and is editing it. Mm. And I was like, That's, that sucks. Tough. How often do you direct and then edit your own work? Um, it depends on the budget, I would say. Uh, with music videos, there's hardly ever much budget in post for stuff, as I'm sure you would agree. <laughs> um, unless, you're, unless you're working with really big artists. And so most of the time, if I'm directing a music video, I will cut that together as well. But they music videos are a separate beast as well because you can play with timing as much as you want and continuity is not an issue. It's not anything in a music video unless it's extremely narrative-based. 
you know, music videos jump around and they have like wild editing and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of less less of an issue. Yeah. Um, but with short films, short films are the same a lot of the time. There's really not a lot of budget in post because you spend all this time getting the budget to make it and then you make it and you're like, ah, uh, we kind of need someone to put this all together. <laughs> and then it gets to that point. So normally I... I would do that as well. But yeah. I just make sure that I give myself enough time to have a break, send it off to someone to have a look at and then get feedback and then slowly work on it. I think if you get too stressed and you're trying to do it too quickly, it's you're going you're gonna to get frustrated and you're going to hate yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good advice. More on advice. You're working as a freelancer now. Yes. How do you manage multiple projects? Freelance work seems terrifying to me. <laughs> Is that because I look terrified constantly? Yes. Yeah. You're always crying. <laughs> I, am. I am. I'm crying right now. Adrian, thank you for editing out all the tears. <laughs> I mean it more just, I guess, my personality type. I'm like, I'm too highly strung to have that many variables. So I'm just wondering, how do you manage your project flow and manage multiple projects at the same time and making sure you're getting new work. Like you're running your own business that is you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about it? Yeah, well, um, it's definitely a transition. I was working full-time in-house at agencies uh, up until maybe just under a year ago. And as soon as I went freelance, I just had to learn things so quickly because you can get so much advice, so much good advice, and it will never prepare you for all the things you need to learn as you're doing it, as it's happening. Yeah. And so I think when I first went freelance, I was scared to say no to everything, to things. And I was also scared to uh, say no to if, you know, if production company or producer wanted me to go to a meeting, wanted me to turn up for something, and I was actually busy, I I would almost uh, drive myself insane trying to constantly rearrange my days to make that work. So the first few months, I was absolutely exhausted. And I had like, multiple breakdowns, not terrible ones, just ones where I was just like staring off into the distance, you know, a single tear rolling down my face. Broken the reflection of the window, yeah, which is quite cinematic in itself. (laughs) And so there was that. Um, And then I learned that you can be reasonable with that kind of stuff. Try as hard as you can to work around projects and be as as available as you possibly can be as a director. But there are some times where you just can't do things. You can't commit to certain projects because you're too busy and you shouldn't commit you shouldn't overcommit. My rule is two projects, two separate projects at once. Never do more than that, more than that, because I did three at one time and it almost killed me. But two is the maximum. Two is the maximum at one time. And that makes things easier to manage around as well. Yeah. Because you're just talking to mainly two separate producers. Yeah. And and the main thing is just to be reasonable. Ask like if you show up to 90% of the things and then 10% of the things, you just can't make it. Yeah. Producers, I found, I mean, you can you can tell me if I'm wrong, but most of the time producers are like, yeah, that's totally fine. Like, it, you know, everyone's everyone's reasonable. Everyone's trying to work around their days. And, and In my mind, I'm mm. like, you're a director. You're mm. off directing. Whenever I call you, I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's because I normally yell at you. And I was like, what are you doing calling me at this hour? <laughs> it is 2 a.m. and I'm... <laughs> no, um, and I'm still awake yeah. every night because I don't sleep. Yeah, from our point of view, I think it's always... There's no hard feelings because people are busy and like clients are busy. We're busy. It's a thing Mm. and it's just you make it work. I I guess in production, because I'm more of the post side, production's always a bit more intense, I think, because there's often a scramble to get things going and done. Whereas for post reviews, usually the edits you're reviewing aren't that long. So it Mm. isn't actually that much time out of your day to like sit down and stuff. Yeah, I, I think very rarely is there situations where like you need the answer right on the spot. It's generally like, I'll just call and see if they're free. And if they're not, then I'm sure they'll get back to me in the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's generally fine. And like some people, we have another director that we work with quite a bit and they teach on two days a week. So we just understand that people have lives. You're allowed to have a life. Yeah, so thank you for saying so. Now that I know that, I'm going to start living. <laughs> how, how do you manage your work-life balance? Yeah, that that's a good question. I think that's uh, it's difficult for everyone. I feel like yes, that's true. Yeah, the there's a constant uh, human understanding that it's really difficult to find that work-life balance, no matter what your job is or what your work is, what your life is. Um, and what I found is just try and be reasonable and trying. Try to constantly think about, like, stop, give yourself five seconds 
and think about if you need a little bit more time than what's been asked of you. So if someone is like, look, I know you're really busy today, but I need you to look at this thing right now, like like what we were talking about before. If you've got capacity, be like, hell yeah, I'm going to look at this right now and then get back to you in a sec. I can listen to, you know, or, or look at what you need me to look at. Um, but then there are other times when you're so stressed and you're under so much pressure that you're doing something else. You're, you might be on set and you, you physically cannot do that. Yeah. And you've just got to be... You just got to be honest. You got to be like, "Look, Tori, Jem, um, I can't right now, um, but it's always a good idea to give some kind of time frame. So I'll have lunch break in an hour. Is it all right if I look then? And ninety nine percent of the time, it will be okay. It will yeah, be fine. and that's but that's that comes with experience and it comes with time because I think you know when I was when I was younger, like many years ago, I would be so afraid to ask those questions because I'd be worried that I was being I was coming across as like being lazy or not being on it. And I didn't know what other directors did. And I didn't know if that was like what you do or not. But now after, you know, doing so many projects, you can say that you can, you can be reasonable and people are mostly reasonable. And from (laughs) their point of view, they want you to be fully engaged with what they want you to do anyway. So it's, it's better if you take some time away and come back to it when you can fully engage with it than just doing it half-assed being like, I'll review it on my phone while I'm like in the bathroom on set. Cause Absolutely. Don't it's, review my edits like that. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I never will. Apart from all the times I've done before. It is a win-win. Absolutely. I feel like as a director, you want everything that you say to be well thought out. You don't want to yeah. accidentally say something. like cause Especially like when you're on call with a client or with agency, you don't want to say something because then you've got to commit to it. You don't want to say something yeah. that you haven't thought out. You don't yeah. want to be like, yeah, I reckon this shot should be a drone shot. And then you think about it for a few seconds, you're like, Jesse, that is the most ridiculous thing you've ever thought. <laughs> and they're like, life. yes. You have to commit to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone else is like, yeah, let's get a drone. Yeah. And then you guys are like, we can't afford a drone. And you're like, oh. You idiot. <laughs> so in the same vein of, oh, you said something just before and I thought it tied in well. My next question is more or less about how long did it take for you to be comfortable talking to clients without sort of second guessing yourself and your role as a director? Great question. A long time. I feel like every director's slightly different. It's one of those weird things where I feel like a lot of the time, I feel like I'm quite a confident person, but even so, I still get nervous like every single time presenting. Like, I think because you're presenting your own ideas and you're presenting your creative thoughts and that can be very personal and that can be very, like you're, you're laying yourself bare a little bit, you're opening yourself up for um, ridicule or cri- criticism. And so that's always going to be a little bit nerve-wracking. But I would say in answer to your question more specifically, uh, I it took me about five years to become completely comfortable. When I first started presenting treatments, I just what I, I wasn't experienced enough. So when people had really specific questions about things that I've written, it would I would kind of stumble and I'd have to try and think about it. Whereas like these days, what I do is whenever I write a treatment, I read through it after I've made it a, a bunch of times. And I prepare myself for every single question that I think they're going to ask me or people are going to ask me, so I'm ready for it. And I also, I don't know if this is related, just let me know, give me a hand signal, give me the finger if you don't think it's working. (laughs) Um, But I think before every project, yeah, I normally write like one line of, of a creative direction that I can always bring it back to. So if it's like, I want this to be funny, colorful, lighthearted, and I want there to be a human connection. Just that that's just a random example. Yep. Uh, which is actually in quite a lot of ads. Yeah. Um, and a lot of projects in general. Yeah. Um, and if someone has a question about something specific, I just think back to that one line. I think, how does it relate to that? So if someone's like, Jesse, why did you pick this location? Why did you cast this person? And I'm like, well, I think they, I think the location's like really homely and it kind of brings out that human connection. I can imagine a family in there. And with casting, this person comes across as really warm and welcoming. And I want, I want that to, to come out. And then, mm. and then that's normally like an answer to, to most of those questions, you know. That's great. That's great. It's a great little tip. Yeah, little tip. Yeah, any creative role that's working on a project, like if you kind of have that, you can always justify any of your creative decisions by coming back to that one line. Can you share that one line with me mm-hmm. when I'm talking to clients? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, you give yeah, me, an, like you've there's an edit happening and I, yeah. I can like steal your one-liner just so I can be like, just so you know, client, the reason we did this. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, and that's and and that's a really good point. And I will next time. I'll, I'll yeah. give you that one line. Got to share um, the one liner. Yeah, the one liner, the secret one liner. Yeah. The the magical recipe. Um, but yeah, mm. it is. It's so true, and it also means it gives you confidence when you're speaking because you always have a reason. You always have creative rationale behind why you're putting something forward or why you're asking an actor to do a certain action or to say a certain thing. 
So you're like, well, I feel like you'd say this because you have a really good relationship with this person. They've been your best friend for so long. So you would, you greet them with a hug. You wouldn't give them a handshake. You know, everything, everything kind of boils back to that one line of, of human connection as an example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a really good thing to remind yourself why you're doing it and mm. what the purpose is. Yeah. And that's like a big part of like client putting trust in you is, is knowing that you, you know, that you have connection to the project or that you fully understand what they're wanting to get. So I think if you can keep reiterating that too, that's, especially if you're throwing some weird shit. Exactly. That is another thing as well. People don't mind if you regurgitate some buzzwords that they've said back to them because it means that you're you're kind of reflecting and reverberating those ideas back and forth to just to remind each other you're on the same page. Mm. Like for example, yeah, if the client says they want it to come across as really warm and inviting, you can keep saying that. You can keep saying, you know, this this location's really warm and inviting and that's that's what we both want and no one's going to criticize you for using the same words. No, mm. no. Should we jump into some of like the directing as a career questions, Definitely. Jen? I'm thinking about reflecting on some of the projects that you've done and you don't have to be specific in, in, in anything like that. Don't have to name anything, but an example of a project where you've had a really great experience working with a client and what do you think is the reason that was? It's so hard to answer that by just saying, don't let me do whatever I wanted. <laughs> um, but I think what that boils down to is a uh, trust in each other. And I think I can think of two examples I did a job for Movember and the team at Movember were amazing. We had a lot of trust in each other and they understood what was necessary in making the project what it is. Yeah. Uh, we had like two comedic actors who are fantastic. And I thought it was really important that we did as much improvisation as possible. There was like a it was like a back and forth, kind of like a two-hander, lots of dialogue. And you need to get really natural back and forths with that kind of stuff. And you can't just uh, stick to the script. This is my personal opinion anyway. Don't take this as gospel or whatever. <laughs> but I think that we were just on the same page with the client. The client wanted something funny and they wanted the actors to have a play. And they didn't mind, I, I don't want to say wasting time, but they didn't mind spending time on the day knowing that we probably wouldn't use 90% of the stuff. Sure. Because it also helps the later takes when we did have to do scripted things because the actors were warmed up, which I'm a big believer in. And so that was a really good project because we all understood what was necessary and we all had a good time and it was a great project to work on. Alternatively as well, because like normally I like doing comedic, funny, silly things, but I also did a job a few years back that wasn't that, that was kind of almost documentary-esque uh, following a group of farmers in rural Australia around yep. and just getting some really nice, beautiful footage on that. And in the same way, the clients were just so amazing because they just wanted to hear what we wanted to do. And I think the only thing that they did was they just they just gave us red flags on what we couldn't do. So we'd suggest something and 90% of the time they would say, yep, that sounds great. That works perfectly for what we want. And yeah. then occasionally they'd say, oh, we can't do that because of this, this, and this. And that's fine. That's, mm. I think the projects go in a weird direction when either or both the director and the client are kind of butting heads. Client wants one thing and then director wants another and it's like not a good pairing. Yeah, sure. So what do you do in a situation like that? Where the client wants something different than what I want? Yeah. yeah. Or I can't imagine you actually butting heads with a client. I don't feel like you're that Physically, much. Physically, me yeah. butting a client? Or just <laughs> metaphorically speaking? Both. Um, <laughs> but I feel like you're such a... Is affable the word? I always think affable is offensive, but I think it is a nice word. I so. um, My vocabulary doesn't extend to that word, Tori, so it, I'm going to have yes. to take... Friendly, good-natured, or easy to talk to. Yeah, oh, so you're... I always picture you with... <laughs> no, but you seem like an affable person that I don't imagine you butting heads with a client and mm. being like, no, you have to do my idea. But when there is tension or there is something that's not quite working with the client, yeah. like what do you do to help overcome that? Great question. My, I'm a big believer in um, pick your battles. So for example, uh, as a director, you have all of these ideas. Um, I'm sure you all agree. And you come into a project and, you know, you think that the, the best way of doing this is X, Y, and Z. And you just have to figure out what things you're okay with losing. And I find most of the time, if you don't fight at every turn, so just say you're on set and one of the actors doing their thing and then client's like, I think they should be wearing a hat. And you don't really agree with that, but it, you think about it and if you realize that it doesn't really affect the scene, and sometimes it will, sometimes wearing hats might be weird. Um, we're all wearing hats right now. Uh, and, but then you, if you realize that it's not going to affect, you know, the project, uh, positively or negatively, then just 
let them wear a hat. And it's, it's all about picky battles. But then if there's something like, and this happened to me recently on a project, there was one particular shot that I used uh, in an edit that I thought was really, really funny. And it was because one of the actors was doing something really silly and they the client wanted to remove it. And they were very nice about it. So there was no, no bad blood or anything like that. But that was the one thing that I fought for because I think that made the ad funny and it put it into the realm of silliness and unexpectedness, which is uh, the basis of a lot of humor. And I argued that point. And then we, we reached a point, there was a bit of back and forth, but then we reached a point where they agreed. And I truly believe it was because I'm not just fighting for the sake of it. I was fighting because I really believed that that made the project better. Yeah, yeah, getcha. Yeah, and so that, that's what I would say. I would say let the little things go, um, but if it heavily affects the project in one way, then that's the thing that you fight for. Yeah, totally. That's really sound advice, I think, because sometimes it's just not worth it. Mm. Just to stand on your hill, that's not the yeah. that's not Sometimes the you just you don't want to be standing you on a hill all the time. You don't want to be standing on a hill. You're looking around me like, how did I get here? Where am I? <laughs> Um, yeah, so that that's really, really good advice. I guess I don't really have a follow-on question from Matt, but mm. we were talking about how your skills in editing have kind of goes hand in hand with your directing. So editing, directing, yeah. good. Are there any other skills or any other experience that you've had that helps in those areas? Yeah, I think going to film school, I did. I went to two different film schools. I did because I couldn't get enough of it, love studying. <laughs> I did two years at RMIT and three years of VCA. And I think they're just such great experiences because you get to be every role on set. And I think every director should do that because yep. it means that you'll have at least a very basic fundamental understanding of each crew role. Yeah. And it also means that kind of know what you what you like, what you don't like in terms of what you want to be doing. Normally directors usually have one other little thing that they that they do whether or not you've worked up your way in narrative through being a runner and then going up through camera department or there's so many different avenues that you can go that everyone will have a little side thing that they're also good at. And so, yeah, as, as we were talking about before as well, like a lot of directors come from performance backgrounds. There'll be directors that do a little bit of acting yeah, at some sure, point. Yeah. And that crossover acting directing is, is more common than you would expect. And so it's kind of good to have one other thing that you're also good at that kind of drives the way that you direct. But just having a basic knowledge of all the different crew roles I think helps you as a director, especially even when understanding the kind of jargon and the kind of words that are thrown around on set. Like when someone's like, yeah, all right, mate, go give us a floppy. You hear like a, you know, a gaffer say that. And when you first start out, you're like, what is that? And why is that needed? But after you've done a few shoots, you know what that is. And you're like, okay, in my mind, that's going to take a couple of minutes so I can go and talk to my actors yeah. and give them a bit more feedback. Little stuff like that that kind of helps you along the way. When, when um, just thinking back about the film school aspect, I remember mm. being in school and then saying to be a, a filmmaker or to write your own projects or to direct your own projects, always beneficial to kind of have life experience to draw upon. I was slightly mature age student going into uni. You were about 55, 56? 55, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah no, you have it's... a youthful voice though. Thank you. It's, <laughs> it's uh, you should hear me outside of the interviews though. I just sound like <laughs> shit. <laughs> I can um, confirm that. Yeah, thanks. But were you also a mature age student going into VCA? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think I was, I think there was a lot of um, people that came from the just graduated high yeah. school and came in and I was like, oh, who are these babies? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are now all of my closest friends. Exactly. I think I was 23 yeah, okay. or something okay. when I joined it. So I guess that probably, I mean, even that little out. even that little gap of time yeah. helps. Do you find as you get older that you find directing is easier? Absolutely. A hundred percent. You spend so much of your time when you start out wondering if you're doing the right thing or the way that you're doing it. Is is that what people do? Like, what are other people doing? It takes a while to realize that it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Like, even when I started presenting treatments and presenting my ideas in general, I always wondered, is this what other directors do? Like, am, am I doing this wrong? Am I not being, I don't know, uh, as out there enough? Or am I doing all these things? And then you talk to a few other directors and they all think the same thing. And it's, and what you do, you being unique, is the reason why you should be directing that particular project and you should, should not worry about what anyone else is doing. I think that, that took me like 10 years to learn, which mm. I'm sure other people, it will be a lot shorter, but I was a slow learner. <laughs> you may have just answered the question, but we, one question we wanted to ask was, what is a piece of advice you wish you'd heard earlier? I have a few. Uh, number one piece of advice 
is take all advice uh, with a grain of salt, including mine that I'm saying <laughs> right here. And I think that is because when I first started out, I obviously watched a lot of filmmakers. I looked at a lot of advice and I scoured the internet and I found that a lot of the advice wasn't really working for me. And I think that goes into the, the second part of this advice, which is still ironic because I said, don't you know, take it with a grain yeah. of salt, don't take it as gospel. <laughs> the second piece of advice is everyone's experiences and everyone's career is so different from each other that one person's advice just doesn't work for another person. You read or you see all these interviews with really famous film directors and they say these things like, yeah, I made my first feature when I was like 21. And I was just like hanging out in front of Universal Studios until they gave me a job. And it's like, well, I can't really do that yeah. in Melbourne. And I'm a lot older than that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I can't really do that. That advice doesn't work for me. And I think that's important to remember. I think uh, it's great to get as much advice as possible, but take it, see if you can use it. Just have it in the back of your mind, but don't think of it as like, I've got to do this. Don't take any advice literally or try to replicate anyone else's career progression because you will have your own and it'll be different and you won't be able to see it until it is kind of happening. Oh, and another piece of advice is always turn up really early to things, especially shoot days and things like this. I was here super early. I grabbed a coffee um, just because you don't know what traffic's going to be like and you don't want to be late ever. Yeah. I was late to set once and it was fine in the end. This was like five or six years ago. I just had really, I just caught, got caught in traffic and it was fine. No one really noticed because I was like about half an hour late, but people were setting up and that kind of thing. But it was, it's so hard to come back from that. So just always be early to things. Yeah. yeah. Start yourself off on the right foot. Yeah, exactly. Which is, we, I wish I just said that as advice. No, Start yeah. yourself off on the right foot instead of waffling on no, for your waffle, 25 minutes. Context is important. Do you like the waffle? That I, I like the waffle. Yes. <laughs> So, Jesse, we wanted to learn more about how you direct. Uh -huh. And because I have no idea how people direct. It's mainly yelling. Yeah, a lot of yelling. <laughs> what we thought would be fun was to provide you with a scenario so you could Love run it. us through, us in the audience, mm -hmm. through how you like prepare for a pitch and prepare for the shoot day and how you would think about this creatively. So, the scenario that we wanted to put to you is, let's say we've got a new campaigns come up. We've got a, um, a new up-and-coming dog leash brand. Nice. They want to make a digital social media campaign and all they've really got is small budget, one-day shoot, and we want it to be, from the dog's perspective, how much they love these leashes. And it can be funny hearing that mm. and I'm keen to hear what comes to mind straight away. What are the sort of things you would think of in preparing a, an idea? I'm picturing the clients as actual dogs, like as a little sausage <laughs> dog and a little greyhound. That's Is that the scenario? Like, Are, um, are they wearing ties? They're wearing little ties <laughs> and they have little computers. <laughs> it's my first day. <laughs> sure thing. Yeah. That could be, it's hypothetical. We, I'm not going to put a pin in that. Yeah. It's a lighthearted thing. We want to get people interested in buying our leash. But it's just how do we make this fun and interesting? Yeah, nice. I think starting from the treatment process, what I've learned is when you're writing copy and writing your ideas, your tone of voice is very important. You know, you can get across your individualism and, and who you are as a person. Yep. And so for me, because I'm quite a casual person, I write very conversationally, which occasionally, you know, some people look at and they're, and they're reading it and they're like, well, this doesn't actually read that well, Jesse. And I agree with them, except I would prefer to come across in that way because that is my style. My sure. style is not actually super professional in that way, in the way that I speak. It's more conversational. It's light. It's silly. And, you know, occasionally in the grand scheme of things, I might lose a couple of jobs because of that style, but overwhelmingly you will win jobs because of that, because you are putting forward who you are as a person yeah, and yeah. what unique qualities you can bring to the project. Yep. So I'd say I would start there. I'd start with tone of voice and how I would write. And then obviously I would find all of the visual references that kind of, that I want to get across. And you can talk so much, but you really do need those references so that you can look at them and then describe the image. And a lot of the time, even if something's a bit wrong, like something you might send it in and then client will be like, okay, we love this shot, but we hate the amount of contrast that, that's in it. And then you can go, okay, and that's a way to have that conversation and kind of work out between multiple people what the look of it will look like. And that's, that's in the pitching process. In terms of, I guess, the creative direction, though, what I would see is um, I always try and put some element of humor into the project of what I'm doing, even if it's not like 
roaring with laughter with yeah. this amazing joke. But even if it's something that it's, you know, you can, you can smile at or might giggle at, I feel like putting any kind of comedic value is always a good time. Yep. And I would also try and put in a human element there as well. I would say it's a good idea to have some kind of uh, relationship between a human and a dog. And that can be really funny. It could be like a dog having done something a little bit naughty and then giving you that look where they know they've done something bad and they feel really guilty and they kind of look at you with like wide open eyes. Yeah. And I can imagine that human kind of look at the, looking at them a bit suspiciously. That in itself, there's drama and there's comedy in there. And I kind of see that as being something I'd like to play with. So I would write about that a lot. Yep. And I would see if I could incorporate that in some way. Yeah, sure. And I think also like there's a lot of humor in a breakdown of communication in general. And obviously we can't communicate completely with animals. Yeah, that's an interesting idea about involving the human connection with their animal. And what if I could understand my animal? Oh, wow. This what are they like trying to tell me? brainstorming session. You'd have that classic moment where the human's trying to guess and then the dog's like, oh, and you know, it does oh, yeah. a little head tilt and the eyes rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny thing working with animals, I'm sure. Have you guys worked with animals quite a bit? on set? Not for a couple of years There's now. There's a lot of crew members that I'd refer to as animals. <laughs> <laughs> Including myself. <laughs> but yeah, I've worked with heaps of animals before and the one thing that I would say is if you want them to do something very specific, aim for it, go for it. But the reality is they might just sit there looking off camera like a little potato and that's what <laughs> you're going to get. That's the thing. There's so much on a shoot is kind of buttoned down and storyboarded and stuff. But I feel like when you get there on the day, if you're working with animals, you've got to be okay with them doing absolutely nothing or doing the <laughs> opposite of what you want. And I think that's just a conversation that you also have with with client and, and everyone involved just to manage expectations. Totally, well. totally. Okay, well, I think this is sounding positive. How would you prepare for a shoot with a, with mm. a dog? I think like when you when you get to the production side of things and you're on set, it's important to be really well organized, buttoned down. You don't want to get there on the day and realize there's something that you missed and you haven't thought about and you're kind of caught in the moment. You want to make sure that you know the answer to everything. At the same time, you also have to be flexible because things change on the day all the time. So you can't be over-rehearsed in your own mind of what it's going to be exactly. You need to be really detail-oriented and know exactly what it's going to be. But at the same time, you have to relinquish control sometimes because things change on the day. There are problems. You might have to move location. It might be raining. You've got to be okay with being flexible as well. And that comes from just being able to creatively solve problems on the day. And once I feel like that comes from experience. Like when I first started, that was really difficult for me. I was like, oh, wait, what? We can't shoot here? We're going to shoot? Like, what and now, after doing it hundreds of times, it's just like, yep, fine, let's, let's, let's do it this way. And also always be open for if someone else has an idea and it's better than your idea, do what's best for the project. As a director, I think it's up to you to realize what is best for the project in general and let go of any kind of preconceptions of what you think is right and what you think is the best. Definitely. And just do the better thing. If you get there on the day and everything's going perfectly and then the DOP is like, hey, quick one, I reckon if we shoot this way, it'll look miles better. And then if you agree with them, then great. If you don't agree with them, it's important to stick to your guns as well. But if you agree with them, don't fight yourself in thinking that you're relinquishing control to someone else as a director. Mm. Go with the best idea mm. and be confident with it. Be like, hey, that is better. So let's do that. And then you go over and talk to everyone and ask if you yeah. can, all that kind of jazz. No, I think that's really sound advice. Yeah. Thinking about your job more holistically, what would you say you love most about it? Hmm. I think I love working with actors the most. I like rehearsing with them. I like auditioning. I like hearing and seeing all of the great things that they have to input that comes from them. Yep. And that's a big part of my casting process. A um, lot of amazing actors out there, but I want to cast ones that can bring something that's new and exciting and different that I haven't thought of. A lot of the time that makes me laugh or makes me surprised or shocked at what they've said because that's something that I haven't considered or that's something new that's presented to me. Because normally as a director, you have all the answers. You've thought about it probably more than anyone on the project at, at a certain point in terms of the creative vision anyway. Yep. And so when something new gets presented to you and it normally comes from actors, that's just an awesome feeling. So I would say that is my favorite part. That's lovely. Yeah, that's so nice. Is there anything that you're hoping to get into in the future? Like in specific, like you want to work on a feature film? Or genres that you might want to explore yeah. or yeah. You know, anything. I think features and TV are the end goal for sure. But at the same time, I also like doing different things all the time. 
yeah, I love doing music videos, short films, commercials. I like that how they're different and I like that, you know, all their differences keep things exciting. But yes, I would love to work in the narrative stream. I would love to do TV. I'd love to do features. And in terms of a genre, you mentioned genre. I mean, I'm pretty open. I like most genres, but I'm a super nerdy sucker for science fiction. I love that genre and I would love to make a, a sci-fi feature at some point. That's on the bucket list. Yeah, cool. For sure. For like any clients listening to this, that oh. is there any specific styles you'd like to explore in an upcoming job or oh. what would be the dream thing to direct? Oh, dream thing. Anything that's like dialogue-based humor, Yeah, I guess. I know that's, that's not really a genre, but, no, but it, in terms of style, like if there's a script out there that's a two-hander or a three-hander that involves a bunch of people and there's something that goes wrong and there's the dialogue between those characters, I love that the most. And I love working with comedians and I love working with actors that love improvising. Um, so anything within that realm, as a brand, that's my favorite thing. At the same time, you know, if we kind of bookmark this or bookend, I should say, with what we we're talking about right at the start in terms of the fast-paced Edgar Wright style cutting, you know, lots of sports brands really suit that. Yeah. And I find that just as exciting. So quick cuts, things moving really quickly, and at the same time, uh, fast-paced dialogue. I think they both serve the purpose of being really exciting and really engaging, in, especially in short forms uh, such as the you know, 15, 30, 60-second commercials. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Well, that's actually all that we have. Oh, there we, you go. We, we've really appreciated you coming in and chatting to us. But Ooh. before we wrap up, yeah. um, we do give people an option. Is there anything that you want to plug or do you have any, as a way people could follow you online if they were so inclined? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a tiny little plug here. Go for it. I'm currently working on a short film, very, very early stages in the process. It's called Salty. It's set in a small coastal surf town. Uh, it's a short film that explores mental health through the lens of a group of 16 to 17-year-olds. Oh. Uh, I'm producing it uh, with Danielle Singleton and writer Melissa Reimer, set to shoot sometime this year with the goal of developing it into a series. Right. And I just want to say thank you to you both oh. for having me here. You're both incredibly talented and intelligent human beings and I appreciate your company very much. No, right. thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. And it's just like 25 minutes of us yeah. just like being, being like, really complimentary. No, just you're fabulous. No, no you're, you're wonderful. No, just like fade wonderful. us out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to our episode. So That's How It's Done is a Monster and Bed production. You can find our work on any social media channel at Monster and Bed or visit our website monsterandbed.com.au. We also have a podcast hashtag So That's How It's Done. 